Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder. It's not every day I get to talk to one of my heroes, and this is the day. She's a petite dynamo named Nancy Goodnight. She's a devoted wife, mother, community volunteer and a legendary endurance athlete. It is so good to have you here. I've wanted to talk to you for so many years. and Thank you. I know we've been friends for a long time, and we've never done this formally. So, I, know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you've run more than 150 marathons. Yes, yes. Marathons and ultras. I'm at 164 now. I try to keep a count. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Do any stick out in your mind? I mean, oh sure, um, yeah. There's you know people always ask what's your favorite, and you can't really. It's like asking which is your favorite child. There's something you love about each one of them, and some that you don't. I can tell you which is my least favorite. That's easy, but yeah, uh, but <laughs> we'll talk know, about that are, in a minute. Yeah, some are more scenic than others. I mean, I I love yeah. you know I do Boston almost every year, and I love that just because it's kind of like a family reunion because I get to see people that I only see that one time a year. I have cousins that run it. I, I literally, one year I was running and at mile two, I look over and, and I hear, hey, Nancy, and I look over and it's <laughs> my cousin Beth from Maine, you know, and we ran together for several miles. Oh, my goodness. So it's kind of, and that's just kind of a traditional, it's, you know, it's the crown jewel of um, of running. But but then there have been some ultras that um, I've done a few really long, ultra meaning longer than 26.2 Yeah, miles. yeah, I wonder what it, what does yeah, that mean? Um, longer than 26.2 miles. And I've um, I've done a couple with my daughter, which really stand out. We just finished, last month we did our first 100-mile race together. And uh, that was, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, and, and that says a lot because I've done some You ran in one stuff. setting, you one ran? Day. Yeah, 100 miles of trail together. Yeah, we, well, I say together, we, we stayed together for 85 miles, and then, um, I was hurting. I had an injury and I was hurting and it was cold and it was dark. It was, you know, three o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and I started getting slower. And then she at mile 85, we stopped for something and she said, okay, if we want to come in in 24 hours, we we have to pick up our pace. And I said, honey, I can't do it, but I don't want to keep you, hold you back. You go. So she went and she finished like with two minutes to, to spare. And then I finished, really, yeah, I finished in 25 hours, but it got really ugly in the end. I don't even want, it's embarrassing. <laughs> well, if, if this were television, my mouth is agape. I mean, I, yeah. I just can't even. It was rap, the har- hardest thing I've ever done. Rap, I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah. Um, but you're, you know, in a elite group uh, of 
people, most of them men, to race in every single Ironman since it started in 2011. Uh, um, yeah, the Ironman Texas, that particular race. Um, so that's more than just running. Yeah, it's um, so that's triathlon. So for that race, you swim 2.4 miles, my least favorite sport. Mm-hmm. I really just can't get over it. I don't like it. Um, but then you ride your bike 112 miles, and then you run a full marathon 26.2 miles. So I've completed that 16 times, but Ironman Texas, which is the race that's in the woodlands, um, there's, this is the 10th year and there's only 14 people that have finished all of Ironman Texas, but there's only one woman and that's me. So it's like a really bad game of survivor. <laughs> only you don't win $10,000. <laughs> that's you right. Spend it. Uh, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, every, everybody's kind of been coping with being a little bit cooped up, you know, and I, and I think of something like running, all you need is a pair of shoes. Right. That's what I did this morning. I went out and I ran seven miles. I mean, it's, it was eerie because there's nobody on the streets, really, yeah. you know, but for, for me, it's, it's not just the, the physical, like staying in shape and everything. I mean, my, all my races, I'd registered for nine races in March and April and only three actually happened. Right. And the rest were all canceled. So it's kind of hard to be, stay motivated, to keep training, to stay in shape. But for me, that's not really why I do it. It's, it's coping and it's stress management and it's, to me, it really lifts my spirits. Like when I'm out there running today, I started off, I was, I'm like, this is so depressing. Yeah, kind of bummed. Um, yeah. And then, but by the end of it, I'm, I'm feeling really much more positive and have a much better attitude. You know? Well, it, and I've always heard of something like the runner's high. I mean, yeah. it really is a thing. That's a very, it's a, it's a it's very a chemical thing, thing right? Me. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Without question. I love it. And you know, do you get it in the first mile? Probably not. But um, <laughs> but it also depends. You know, for me, the first mile is the hardest mile. Once I get through that first mile and get warmed up, then things get better. But, but um, you know, right now it's a little bit lonely because we're not running with friends much. People, right. People either, even if they wanted to run with us, a lot of them, like some of my running friends have small children and they don't have school or childcare right now. So I'm on my own. But I listen to music. I listen to podcasts, things like that. Mm, well, Good. That's why yeah. we're, we're, we're filling a need for folks, which yeah. is which is fun. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the beginning, your beginning days of this. You have four gorgeous daughters. They're grown, grown up. Yes, they I are. I can't believe they're grown up they as they either. are. Yeah. And, a, and a wonderful husband. Yeah. You're a devoted um, mother. And, and, and yet it was really to get away from the stress it, of little girls. It completely, that... it completely was. People always laugh um, when I tell them they don't believe me, but I did not grow up doing this. People mm-hmm. are always like, oh, were you always an athlete? No. Um, I actually grew up grew up a very shy, quiet, overweight child in the back of the band. And that's really, really what I, yeah. So when John Mark and I, my husband, um, he's a physician, and we've been married from the beginning of medical school all the way through residency. So he's been busy. And yeah, he was He was never home. I mean, he was really yeah. never home. I had nothing to do. And so I would I would start, you know, um, working out a little bit just because it was something to do and people to see. I'd go to the club. Um, but then when I started staying home after my – all four girls, they're within five years. So I started staying home after the second one was born because they were just a year apart. And um, I didn't I didn't handle it really well because I liked seeing people and I missed my friends and there were no breaks. I had a you know a 15-month-old and a newborn. And so I, I would go to the health club. That was my break. And I would take the girls in the stroller all day long, and that, that was my break. So I – got probably more into it then and then when we moved to Waco with three babies um, first thing I did was join the Y and they had an excellent um, uh, excellent child care system and a, a lovely lady there named Miss Irma that I still remember so well and she would take wonderful care of the girls while I could and they would let me go run and I would and I really owe so much to the local YMCA for um, enabling me with with their child care program and their um, just their support that I, I 
was able to do as much as I did. But but it really was kind of my thing to um, to to have a break, you know, from from having four babies at once. And it was my social time. I always laugh because, you know, my mother's generation, they would go have coffee. And That's we would, right. We would go over to Ruth Crow's house, I still remember. And, and my mother and Ruth would sit at the, the table and drink coffee while we played in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Now, what that, we're doing the same thing, only we do it as runner. All my, all my women, female friends, male friends, but that's kind of our social time. We go for a run or we go for a bike ride, you know. And, and it is a wonderful group of friends you have. I, yeah. I did have to do a little Facebook stalking and, yeah. you know, just some, as we're starting the quarantine, you know, you're gathered with friends, you know, to yeah. watering hole and just, yeah. I, yeah, I could just see in that um, how much you're, you're, you're closer in we, some ways than just friends. I was just telling my, my other, one of my daughters today, we were talking and I said, these people are, are like family mm-hmm. to me. I mean, we've certainly, there's something about when you train with people that you, you experience something deeper, I think, because you really, some of it is struggle, obviously. You're struggling through some really hard training sessions, but also those um, those moments of that finish line that are, are so celebratory, and so it's it's a human spirit um, moment, I guess, and you really share some, some pretty intense times um, with your training partners. Well, let's talk about that really, really intense time uh, back in November of 2012. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was yeah. in Florida. Yes. And um, you were just doing great. You were doing a, a having triathlon. Having a very good run. Mm-hmm. Having a good run. Swim. I mean, I'm not swim. I swam, and then I had a very good, mm-hmm. I was on the bike, having you, a really good bike time. Yes, yeah. and then it happened. Yeah, I just, um, so I had a little piece of trash that was in my derailleur in the back um, hub of my bike, and I could hear it, and another cyclist passed by. I thought maybe I was getting a flat. I could hear his noise, and he said, you got a piece of trash. And I, so I pulled over to pull the trash out, and I leaned over the bike, and I had, pulled over a little bit off the road on the grass, but not much. And I never saw it coming, but another cyclist hit me. He said he was going about 25 miles an hour. And I didn't know how seriously I was hurt, and I won't get into too many details, but it was it was, it was, was a really grueling moment. It was as close to what it feels like to just, I mean, it, it crushed my entire right side of my body, and I was just on the ground really moaning like an animal. And I couldn't, I remember I couldn't stop the sounds because it was so bad, and uh, I got back up, and at first he was mad at me, and because I wasn't off the road, and then he, the ambulance came, and he became more sympathetic, and he explained that he had been reaching for his water bottle and veered off the road and hit me, because mm-hmm. he didn't see me, um, and the ambulance driver was like, well, your day's done, and I said, no, no, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to ride, and you know, anyway, I did finish the ride, but it's kind of funny, because people are like, oh, it was so heroic, it was another 60 miles, I was crying. It was ugly, and then I had to walk the entire um, the entire twenty six point two miles. And but because I finished it, my husband was there. Because I finished it, we thought, well, I'll probably have some cracked ribs, blah blah. blah. So I flew home. And two days later, on Monday, my husband said, "Well, you probably need to go in and get an X ray because we just need to see how how many ribs you've probably cracked or if you broke anything." And when I went in for the X rays, it was it was pretty shocking. I had um, seven broken ribs. A cracked sternum and a lacerated liver, but my lung, my right lung was completely gone. Yeah, it was pierced by it. It was completely clapped. Yeah, the second and fourth um, ribs had had gone into it, had poked into it and deflated. They said it was the largest pneumothorax they'd ever seen at Providence. And so I spent 12 days on a chest tube. Um, and, it, you know, 
so many, all the doctors, they were like, oh my God, this should have killed you. You should not be here. Really? A normal person probably wouldn't have. Yeah, my other lung was really, really, I think because of all my training, I always told my training partners this, because of all the training that we do, my other lung, even with that, with just one lung, my um, oxygen saturation was 98 and 99%. So I, I think that's what saved me is just that we're yeah, so yeah. strong otherwise. Your so, fitness level. Yeah. And uh, and amazingly, six months later, you compete again. Yeah. And yeah. Not, not that I your did, family was I real did. happy about that. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. I went and did um, a double marathon um, down. It was called the end of the world. And it was on that. Remember when the, the Mayan calendar it was supposed to be the mm-hmm. end of the world? Oh, yeah. So you ran on Sunday on, on Saturday, whatever day it was, you ran the end of the world marathon. But if you were an optimist, you ran on Sunday, you ran the day after the end of the world marathon. And you got these massive Mayan calendar medals. They were like <laughs> six inches across. And um, I'd already. And so I, I went and I did it. And it was on trails. And um, I might not have told someone that um, that I was going to do it. I think I told them I was going shopping. But um, but I did a couple of marathons, and um, my da- two of my daughters were there for that. Back-to-back so. marathon. I mean, yeah. I just am <laughs> I'm in awe of you. It was a little bit crazy, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it just, to me, it's, um, we're, we're more resilient than we think we are. Mm-hmm. Um, the human body really is yeah. incredible. I'm currently reading David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me. He's a Navy SEAL, and it's about how we really only tap into about 40% of what, because our mind limits us, not the body. Mm-hmm. He's an ultra runner too. So anyway, it's an interesting book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your community work. Of course, I, I guess I really knew you through the Midway ISD yeah. Education Foundation. Yeah. I mean, you were president of that for a time. I mean, so active, obviously in school with, when your girls were in, in school. Um, but Obviously, with marathons being and and running and and these kind of races kind of being your passion, you uh, really kind of helped start the uh, miracle match. Let's talk about that. In fact, I went online. You've already got the countdown clock for next January. Yes. Yeah, it's been going on for fourteen years, and I always say um, I get to meet through doing these events. I get to meet people that I don't know that our paths would have ever crossed. And not just the runners. So Miracle Match is a great example. I'm in charge of a lot of different events in Waco. Um, but Miracle Match works directly with the fire department and the because they were the guys who originally started it. Um, and the Waco Sheriff's, I mean, the McLennan County Sheriff's Department. And I've gotten to know those people. They're like, again, they're like my family. We've worked together side by side for 12 years now, putting this race on out of absolute just um, a passion for for the charity, the, the uh, National Marrow Donor Program, as well as some of the other charities that we give to. But um, but I wouldn't have known them otherwise. And they, it's a really neat thing to get to to know people that otherwise I don't, I don't know how we would have met, but it's it's fun. But yeah. it's not just race organizing you do. You actually go and sit in the hospitals as bone marrow transplants yeah. are happening. Well, I've been a, a courier. And yeah. so what, what we do, um, it's a it's a lengthy story, but, but, but when somebody does donate, they – do it anonymously. So they don't know who they're giving it to, and the person who's receiving doesn't know who donated it. So a courier is someone who goes to the um, wherever the collection site is. It's usually either a hospital if it's marrow, or it's um, a blood center if it's um, uh, um, baristas. Sorry, I um, got a little blank there. Anyway, but so I go and I take my little cooler, and they give me the product. We call it the product, obviously. And then I get on a plane somewhere. 
and I fly it and I don't tell anybody where I've been or what I've done and I deliver it and then that's that's my job. It's a volunteer thing. I don't get paid for that. But some it, people always go, oh, it sounds so glamorous. And every once in a while it is. I've been down to Buenos Aires three times and I've hmm. been to Rome and I've been to the UK a few times. And um, But sometimes it's not glamorous. Sometimes I'm sleeping on the floor of LaGuardia. So <laughs> it's a little bit of, sometimes I literally get there in the middle of the night in Cincinnati a couple of times I went and it was freezing and I literally delivered the product, went to the hotel, took a flight out at 6 a.m. the next day. I mean, you usually arrive in the middle of the night because it takes all day. So, Well, this is providing yeah. hope, though, for people oh, yeah. for whom a, a bone marrow transplant may be their only hope. It's, it, at, by the time they get to that, it's their, it is their only hope. It's, it's a last chance. Um, there's really – they've tried everything else. Chemo didn't work. Um, anything else – every treatment they've tried doesn't work. They don't – they don't get to the transplant until until there's no other option. So, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sadly, we're coming to the close of our time together. There's so much, though. Um, you know, you, you, you're always organizing these uh, marathons. I know the Silo Marathon um, was, was going to be coming up, and it's going to be pushed to sometime in the fall. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll update folks on, yeah, yet, on when right? those happen. And you need volunteers yes, for that. Yeah. They're really important because in that uh, memorable Florida marathon you were in, someone, someone saw you struggling. I remember that sweet lady. And yeah. she, you're not allowed to accept outside assistance from anyone. But this particular woman, um, she put ice. She was a volunteer. She was working in an aid station. And she, she saw me crying. And it, it's kind of a funny story, really, in some of these things. Because when I was running... Um, or walking, I wasn't running, but the, during the run uh, as, aspect of it, my toes, clothes were torn and I was bleeding and I was crying, literally. I mean, like I said, everybody makes it feel like I was like this courageous, I was crying. Um, but but people would go, oh, that, your name's on your bib. And they'd go, oh, Nancy, you're doing great. You look great. You look great. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. I know I look horrible. <laughs> but this one particular woman, um, she reached out to me and my shoulder was turning obviously black and blue and it was scraped from the the crash and she put ice on me and because she could because she was an assistant anyway the big point of that story is later maybe four weeks later when we were here in Waco um, she even though she lived in Florida she was in Waco that Thanksgiving weekend for a race um, that she was also volunteering because her daughter was at Baylor and she said there was a woman I saw who had a Waco triathlon who was really, really hurt. And I don't know if any of y'all knew her, but I just wanted to know what happened. And they said, she's right there. I got to go and thank that woman. Now tell me there's not something amazing about that. Like I got to meet her and tell her, wow, you have no idea the impact that Mm. that one gesture was to me. That is special. Yeah. That's special. Well, you are a special lady. And so I want to wrap things up by asking you some questions. uh, These questions I I first heard of through James Lipton's questionnaire on Inside the Actor's Studio, and uh, he based them on something he heard from somewhere else. So um, they're just simple. What's what's your favorite word? I would say, and 
I, I tried to think about, you know, there's, it's, it's like the marathon. It's hard to pick just one. Um, I would say faith. And I don't just mean like a religious faith. I mean, especially right now with everything going on, a faith in each other, in humanity, to me, and in, in yourself, a faith in yourself, yeah. Your least favorite word? That one's easier, fear. Um, I think that that is what, when you have the absence of faith, you have fear. What turns you on, spiritually or creatively or emotionally even? Um, outdoors. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't do well being indoors. Um, to me, the beauty of nature, and I'm, I'm a biologist by degree, um, but I was more focused on the ecology part of that. Um, I, I really find so much beauty in outdoors, and, and it, it's very stimulating to my mind and my heart. So what sound do you love? Mm-hmm. You know, um, right now I'd say we just moved in town a couple of years ago, and um, we have this deck that, you know, looks out to a ravine over by Lake Waco, and I love those birds. I, every morning I open that door just so I can hear the birds. What sound do you hate? Hmm. Sirens, because it always puts some some dread in me that something bad has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What other profession or activity, I guess, would you want to try that you haven't tried? Um, I wish I could play the piano. <laughs> Does that count as one? <laughs> sure. As a profession, I don't know, but um, I wish I'd play the piano. And I always told my daughters when they wanted to quit, you guys are going to regret this. <laughs> <laughs> what What job do you know you would not want to do? Oh, wow. Um, I would not want to serve, um, be a, a waiter at all. I think that uh, probably because I'd have to serve someone like me. Um, not And not that I'm not a very nice, I'm extremely nice, but I'm always like kind of re- recreating the menu. My my girls give me a horrible time about my Starbucks order because it's they're like, oh, mom, you're so high maintenance. I said, I'm sorry, but I am very nice and I tip very well. You know how you want it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what do you want to hear God say to you when you reach those pearly gates? Well, well done. I hope that that that's something that I've done in my in my life, at least some one thing even, but hopefully more, has had a, an impact or has inspired people somehow. And so I guess I, when I say well done, that's what I'm referring to. Well, that no, I've done something positive. No question about that. No so. question about that, Nancy. Good night. Thank you so much Thank for being you. with us. This is really fun. Thank you. I am so happy to welcome Dr. Michael Foley to the podcast today. He's Associate Professor of Patristics at Baylor University and the author of a now a series of books, Drinking with the Saints, and he's got a brand new book out, and it's uh, Drinking with Your Patron Saints. And uh, Dr. Foley, great to have you. Mike? Great to be on. Thanks, Anna. Well, it's, you know, we our, our association through Central Texas Living goes back, obviously, to the television show, and it was so wonderful to have you come on. We had about three and a half minutes, and you would talk about a, a saint or something, uh, you know, about a special day in the life of the church and have a cocktail to go with it. How in the world did you come up with this idea to do a, a book about drinking and saints? Yeah, I, that, that's a good question. I, uh, <laughs> my family and I do like to observe the uh, feast days of the church year, and my wife and I also enjoy an evening cocktail, so it was only a matter of time before we put those two things together. <laughs> and we're going a somewhat different direction with this new book with patron saints. We're not following the church year, we're following your particular patron saints. 
Okay, because the first book uh, really is you start January 1 and go through and and have maybe a, a beverage uh, to go with that particular thing. And then, and then Drinking with St. Nicholas is another book you have, and that's just during Advent. That's right, yeah, Advent and Christmas seasons. Advent and Christmas seasons. So... Um, the patron saints, let's talk about that because we here we are in April and we just, you know, left St. Patrick's Day and, and he just got buried under nothing but coronavirus news. So what is it about uh, St. Patrick that people don't maybe don't understand and why, and why he's such a, a big deal, particularly to the to the Irish. Yes, well, uh, St. Patrick is a big deal for the Irish because he brought Christianity to them, and they were a completely pagan nation. And during the course of his life, he almost single-handedly, with the help of his disciples, turned it into a very, very pious and Christian nation. And so, yeah, he's, uh, he's a big deal to the Irish. He's also a big deal in Nigeria. He is the patron saint of Ireland and Nigeria because of the Irish missionaries in the 19th century. And so to this day, Nigeria consumes more Guinness per year than the United States of America. <laughs> Did not know that. I always learn something new from you, though, <laughs> Dr. Foley. Let's talk about patristics, and that is your field of, of study. It's what uh, you know, you're a professor, associate professor at Baylor have you gotten any pushback from a, a Baptist university that's, you know, kind of Baptists are known for sure. teetotaling? Well, I was a little worried about that, to be Were honest you? with you, when the, when the books came out. I, I, I like to joke, people ask, well, you know, how did you write a, a drinking book on a dry campus? And my pat answer was, I did one thing. I got tenure first. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but honestly, it hasn't been bad at all. I haven't no. had any negative feedback from, from any of my colleagues at Baylor. It is interesting. Every now and then I get someone who's upset that I'm linking piety with uh, drinking, but I'm, I'm linking it in moderation. I'm, this is not a book for getting drunk. Um, but one of the more interesting things was, and I wasn't expecting this, every now and then I get pushback from a fellow Catholic Really? Yeah. So I was expecting more sort of mm -hmm. anti-drinking uh, Christians, but Catholics aren't known for being anti-drinking. But uh, a couple people have objected, saying, "Oh, you're sort of giving, uh, you're you're glorifying alcohol." This one, uh, right? And and in all honesty, a lot of people have a very big problem with it. Oh yeah, and yeah. I, I don't make light of that. Right. As, as a matter of fact, the kind of culture I'm recommending in the book is an antidote. To alcoholism, or I should say a preventative to alcoholism, that alcoholism begins when you don't observe certain rules. And this book is about observing those rules. So I don't think of this as contributing to the drinking problem. I think of it as sort of nipping it in the bud and creating a healthier drinking culture. Um, but yeah, but most of the feedback, the negative feedback I've gotten from fellow Catholics, they have not read the book. They just saw the title and assumed that I was being irreverent. And oh. the, there's a difference between being irreverent and lighthearted. Mm -hmm. I'm lighthearted, but I'm, I'm absolutely not irreverent. So this one guy wrote to me saying, oh, you're, you're glorifying alcohol. And I said, please tell me what part of the book you think where I glorified alcohol because I want to be corrected. Well, I haven't read the book. I just saw the cover. 
Okay. So I wrote back saying, have you ever heard the old adage? <laughs> you can't <laughs> do that necessarily. Well, no, because because you do have a, well, obviously this is your field of study. What got you interested in the field of patristics to begin with when you were a college student? You say, I really want to, you know, dig into yeah. these guys that founded the Christian church. Well, as you know, the study of patristics is the study of the church fathers, and it was one church father in particular, St. Augustine. I read his Confessions, which is the world's first autobiography, and I just fell in love with it. It, uh, As one of my teachers put it, Augustine was an author who wrote with his blood. You just sort of feel this intensity. Even hundreds of years ago, there's something so fresh about his writings, um, almost um, existential, that they, they still relate to us today. And uh, yeah, I read it as a freshman and got hooked and wanted to go on to grad school to study Augustine. And you, you did your PhD work at Boston College, right? right? Yep. And so, you know, of course, you think of Cheers, you think, <laughs> you, <know? right. laughs> you, you think of it as kind of a little bit, maybe more of a drinking culture even, you know, but... Um, these saints that don't know a lot of people named Augustine. You know, I guess it was just not a name that that's right that yeah. people name that. But you know of a lot of Patricks, Christophers. You know, go on down yeah. the, down the line of the of the saints. So let's talk about your new book. So you so you want because there are people who are named for these saints. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how that all kind of came about. And you and these recipes come from where too. Because I presume you've got yeah. cocktail recipes in here. Oh, absolutely I do. So the idea with all three books is to give you beer, wine, and cocktail suggestions for particular saints or particular feast days. And so this, with this volume, we are focusing on patron saints. And a, a patron saint is just simply a saint that you go to when you have a particular cause or concern. It's, it's not in any way a substitute for praying to God. It's just simply asking a friend of God to put in a good word for you. The way you would with a, a, a fellow Christian in the pew, you would ask, hey, can you pray for me? I'm having this problem. So you can have patron saints for anything, mm-hmm. uh, your occupation, uh, your hobbies, your activities, your problems, um, your birthplace, your ethnicity. I mean, there, there really is a patron saint for just about everything. Now, here in um, in April, we're talking tax season. There's even one for taxes, are you saying? There is indeed. St. Matthew. St. Matthew the oh, Apostle. Of course he was the tax collector, yeah. So he is the patron saint of tax collectors and uh, money managers and financial officers, bankers. And by strange coincidence, or maybe it's not a coincidence, he is the patron saint of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. So, well, so what, so what is the drink you have uh, linked with him? There is a drink, believe it or not, called the Income Tax Cocktail. <laughs> All right. What's in it? It goes back to the 1920s. Mm-hmm. It is a kind of an odd drink, but it, it's, it, we, we taste tested it, so I can assure you that it's still pretty good. Uh, it's uh, gin orange juice, sweet vermouth, dry vermouth, and a dash of bitters. The bitters is for that experience of submitting your taxes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you introduced me to uh, something called chartreuse. Mm, so yes. let's talk, let's talk, <laughs> let's oh, take the top of my head off if I take this, but I, I, as your suggestion, if I got a cold, 
uh, upper respiratory. I mean, this was devised by or developed by monks as their medicine. That's absolutely yeah, true. Yeah, so tell them about chartreuse. Designed as an elixir mm-hmm. around the 1500s. Yeah. It is made from over 130 hand-picked herbs by the monks in the French Alps. And the recipe is so tightly guarded that only two monks at a time know it. So when you see a, a bottle at the store of chartreuse, I mean, it's it's a very kind of, I don't know, a, a secretive recipe. Um, I, I will say, you know, a tablespoon of that taken like a dose of medicine it does help. It really but it's does. very strong. It's very strong. It's very strong. It's a hundred and ten proof. Like most whiskeys and vodkas are between eighty and eighty-five, so it is very strong. It's not. It's a. It's if anything, it's for sipping, mm-hmm. and a, a tablespoon is perfect for nipping a, a cold in the bud. Mm-hmm. Well, what was your favorite, um, maybe recipe that you've that you've got in this new book? Maybe a favorite patron saint i guess there's a saint michael oh there is a saint michael <laughs> <laughs> he is the saint michael the archangel yeah is the patron saint of a lot of stuff um soldiers policemen anyone that protects someone else any sort of law he's he's the world's first law enforcement agent right because he was the the cop that god chose to drive lucifer out of heaven so um Paratroopers, that's another thing because he's an angel and he's a soldier. So paratroopers love him, soldiers, policemen, ambulance drivers. Uh, he's got a huge list of patronages. Mm-hmm. And so what, what is the cocktail that goes with St. Michael? We did an original cocktail for St. Michael. Yeah. It's called the St. Michael's Sword. And its key ingredient is blackberry brandy because of an old Irish legend that in Ireland, blackberries don't taste good after Michael's feast day on September 29th. So they, they invented this legend that when Lucifer was thrown out of heaven, he landed on a blackberry bush on September 29th and spat on it. And so well, That's why they don't taste good. So exactly. So you can eat blackberries in Ireland prior to St. Michael's feast day, but you, you can't eat it afterwards. <laughs> Well, so this really, in a way, I mean, it's a recipe book, obviously, but it's it's a textbook. It's a theology book as well. One of the greatest compliments I got on the earlier book, Drinking with the Saints, was a friend of a friend have a large family, and they were going around the table asking their children, what's your favorite book? And the five-year-old said, Drinking with the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. And, and the reason why he did was they read the stories. Oh. He had never heard the stories of these saints before Mm -hmm. and saints stories are so good a lot of them are i'll be honest with you are far-fetched they're very colorful because they're family stories they're just like the stories in your family that have been passed on from generation to generation and yeah sometimes it's a game of telephone and things get embellished as time goes on but you still cherish the stories because they're your family's stories and it's the same thing with the stories of the saints these are the stories of the family of God. And so, yeah, some of it is a little weird, but it's just still something to, to cherish. So how can folks get a copy of the book? Uh, Amazon. Um, I saw it on Barnes & Noble as well, um, the, their website, and retail stores across the nation. Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, uh, uh, your previous book was, and it was one of the top bestsellers in the category of? 
That's right, Christian, Christian saints. Christian saints. Exactly. And locally, um, Balcones sells it, mm-hmm. and I, I believe Fable Bookstore um, also sells yeah, it. Do you, yeah, maybe you have a book signing, anything scheduled that you know? Well, we did have something scheduled, yeah. but it got canceled. It got canceled. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe another time for yeah. that. But um, we, we will do something though. Yeah. Well, we just have a, have a couple of minutes left, but I, I always like to uh, to end my interviews with some questions that I first came across through James Lipton's TV show Inside the Actor's Studio. God rest his soul. Just passed away not long ago. Mm. And he based his questionnaire on Bernard Pivot's popular French talk show Apostrophes and which then based on Marcel Proust, well, here's my version. Wow. All right, are you All ready right. with that setup? That's quite a build up. With that setup, what's your favorite word? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Right now, I'm just going to say cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because that's what you're looking forward to. Exactly. That's right. What about your least favorite word? <sighs> these are these are good questions, but I have never thought of them before. Bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of taxes. Yes. <laughs> uh, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I don't know. It can just, it could be just a random trigger, just seeing something like with drinking with the saints. It was, uh, Alexander and I usually would have, uh, my wife, Alexander, we would have a cocktail together at night. And then one night, instead of the cocktail hour, she went to the movies and I was by myself and I didn't want to drink alone. And I was just climbing the walls, but I was thinking about drinking and then it hit me. A book about drinking with the saints. <laughs> and by the time she came home from the movies, I had written the table of contra- contents in the introduction. Incredible. Right. Incredible. So, yeah, just random triggers. I don't know. <laughs> well, what would turn you off then creatively? Uh, definitely other responsibilities. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a teacher at Baylor. Now having to learn new forms of communication because all the classes are online now. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm a homeowner, a car owner. All these things sort of tug me in different directions. And that makes it hard to have fun thoughts about drinking books. <laughs> <laughs> what what sound do you love most? Oh, there's definitely the sound of a martini shaking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What sound do you hate? The sound of screeching tires, and you don't know if it's going to be followed by a crash. Yeah, yeah. Um, what other profession would you like to try? Not bartender? <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, no. no I, I would rather just do it for fun. <laughs> I don't know. Um, can I... Can I get back to you on that? <laughs> <laughs> that perfectly all right, because I mean you're obviously very satisfied with where exactly. where you are in life, yeah. what you're doing, what you're called to do. But what do you know you would not want to do? Probably something like a government job. Yeah, yeah. They're they've been called yeah. to uh, to service in these last few weeks, uh, maybe in ways they never never dreamed they'd have to. Exactly. All right. So here's my last. While I get you off the hot seat here, um, what do you want to hear God say to you when you? Get to the pearly gates. Oh, <laughs> come in. Well done, good and faithful servant. That would be music to my ears. 
Very good, Dr. Michael Foley. It is always a delight. I always learn so many cool things from you, uh, but your latest book, Drinking with Your Patron Saint. Again, that's uh, available on Amazon or locally at um, bookstores when we're allowed to go shopping exactly. in them. Hopefully we are by now, but um, yeah, it's just been a great delight to have you with us. It's great to be on. This is fun. Thank you. Central Texas Living is part of the Rogue Media Network family. Be sure to check out their other shows at RogueMediaNetwork.com. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Living, the podcast. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.